hello, hello, and welcome into another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. Oh, guys, it's been so long. It's been a long time. It's been since, I, th- I believe our last episode was right after the Oscars. I think it was March 29th, if I remember Holy correctly. Moly. Yes, yes. Yeah, and today's April 14th. I don't know that there's been that long of a hiatus in PFB history, but there has not. We're back. No. Kirk is here. Say hello, Kirk. Hello, hello. I'm your other co-host, Cam. We're so glad to have you. It's been a while. We had, uh, you know, I had some business travel. We had some illnesses. We had. I had a kidney stone. Kirk had a kidney stone. I think you guys also had the stomach flu go through your house, though. I think only only the youngest got it. One person had the stomach flu. I had a kidney stone. I cut my hair. I'm a new man today. <laughs> a lot can happen in two short weeks. It really does feel that way. Um, but oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be back because it has been far too long, far, far too long as evidenced by the fact that, um, we just recorded for two and a half minutes and I forgot to start the video. So this is take two, a little bit out of the swing today, Kirk, but the important thing is not that the important thing is that we're back. We're doing a movie review. Um, so it's been, it's been a really long time since we've done a movie review or what's popping. Um, so we're getting back into the swing of it. And for those of you who miss our Monday streams, cause we've now gone two weeks without Monday streams, clutch the pearls. Um, mm-hmm. those will be back. Those will be back next week. We'll have so much to cover. Um, we are, we are really quickly approaching a very busy movie time of year. Um, April has been much more packed with films than I think either of us anticipated and we haven't gotten to everything yet, but we're still watching stuff. We're still seeing movies. We're still reviewing movies. We're going to get into all of it, but Kirk today we're reviewing a movie and I'm going to quiz you a little bit here. What today our movie review marks a first for the podcast. Okay. What do you think it is? What do you, what first do you think it is? Hmm. Is it the fact that we have recorded both an original film and a sequel film? Correct. Correct, Kirk. This is the first time ever in PFB history that we have recorded a review for both the first movie and its sequel, or any movie and its sequel uh, ever in PFB history. And so uh, the film that we are reviewing today is Sonic the Hedgehog. And we reviewed... Sonic 1, Sonic the Hedgehog 1, way back in uh, February of 2020. Mm-hmm. And which is crazy if you think about it. Like, that, that was a pretty quick turnaround for this film, especially given that there yes. were, you know, there was a whole two years. You know, Sonic the Hedgehog 1 came out right, right before COVID and was seemingly not impacted by any sort of COVID delay because sequels don't really come out any faster than two years these days. So that's really mm-hmm. impressive. Right, right. And, you know, this the first movie also had the incredibly cultural shock moment of redesigning the entire main character when the movie was basically done. So, yes, right. They were showing trailers and everything. They were like (laughs) and people were like, that is the worst. And it was it was the absolute (laughs) worst. And, uh, you know, kudos to them for changing it, because I think it would have been uh, one of the most. I mean, just hated, bashed on, memed. It would have been memed to oblivion. It would have been so bad. Um, so it's good that they got the design right. But, you know, 
we I, li- I went back and listened to our review of the first Sonic the Hedgehog films just okay. just to ground us because this is the first time that we really have a, a basis for a sequel. So to recap everyone, if you haven't listened to our first review, I gave it a 4.5 out of 10 kernels. Kirk gave it a 3.5. And I must have been in a great mood because I <laughs> I can very visually, I can feel how I felt whenever I watched that movie and I really hated it. So I don't know what happened in between me watching the movie and me reviewing it, but I, I, I must have had some sort of come to Jesus moment where I was like, you know what? It's for the kids. <laughs> yeah. They tried really hard. They, and they did. They did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I went back and listened to it. And one of the things we talked about was that original Sonic design. Um, because one of the things that you and I both really had a hard time with in that first film was this Sonic being in a real world texture for the entirety of the film, you know, with the exception mm-hmm. of like, a quick baby Sonic moment at the beginning of the movie. Like he really was in the real world and he just felt so overly cartoony and goofy. Um, very much like this Tom and Jerry, this terrible Tom and Jerry movie that came out um, a little while back. Oh, and, and some of the, you know, it, feel, it feels like a very much like a nineties movie or early two thousands. You think of Scooby-Doo uh, you know, it just like a very goofy yeah. kind of thing. So we'll talk about if that's, if that effect is still in play here and if it's still, holds this movie back or if this movie is a significant jump up over its predecessor. So it's an exciting time. We've got a PFB first. We're going to be reviewing Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And Kirk, my friend, you are doing the honors of giving us a synopsis for this film. So take it away. Fantastic. We last left our hero having defeated Robotnik and sending him off to a distant planet, and he was free to live his life. He was adopted into a wonderful family with James Marsden and his wonderful bride. I believe, I don't remember his character's name, but I believe his wife's name is Maddie, if I remember his correctly. His name is Tom. Yes, Tom and Maddie, you're correct. Tom and Maddie, excellent. James Marsden and Maddie, as I'll refer to them through the rest of this episode. Um, they've they've established a routine. They are living in the same house. They're very, it's very loving. It's very structured. It's a very traditional, just loving home. Uh, and so... What we what happens though is that there's a disturbance, yes. And Doctor Robotnik finds a way to get off this deserted planet, and he is rescued in a way by one of the Echidnas, Knuckles, who has long since been hunting down Sonic the Hedgehog, looking for this energy source because he is long determined to kill him. That's right. There's lots of murder in Sonic Two, ladies and gentlemen. Just just be careful Directed by when Quentin you take Tarantino. your kids. I mean, blood is everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely everywhere. And we get so we get uh, knuckles, we get tails, we get uh, just such a more well-rounded storyline, which we'll discuss later. And of course, big battle with Doctor Robotnik and uh, a full-on uh, war against the Echidnas and the Hedgehogs versus this evil mastermind. Sonic 2. Great synopsis, Kirk. Yeah, so this movie really uh, definitely builds straight off of the second one, or of the first one. The first film, the, the post credit scene introduces Tails um, briefly. And so I think, you know, with when they first came out with the, the title card where the number two has, has Tails, is two Tails, very similar to the game, actually, uh, the, the Sonic 2 um, with Tails. They, they had that same sort of 
iconography. But then mm-hmm. uh, Knuckles was also introduced. So it's also, uh, you know, a really, those are the big three. You know, there, there's Sonic, there's Tails, there's Knuckles. Later on came Amy Rose and Shadow and, and some of the others. But, you know, those those really are the big three along with Eggman. So we are, we are deep within the Sonic lore at this point and well within their range of characters. And so let's get into this movie and talk about how it felt in comparison to the first one. We don't have to, of course, we know, you know, this is a movie that we'll judge it as a standalone film as well as a sequel, but I'm sure we'll, we'll be referencing back to the first one plenty. But first we're going to talk about the acting performances, whether they be voice acting or, you know, real physical live action acting and we'll see who we're giving our awards to. So Kirk kick us off with, and the Oscar goes to, and the Oscar goes to Mr. Jim Carrey, ladies and gentlemen, like we said, it's been uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks without you. And in that span, Jim Carrey has basically announced his retirement from acting, which is a shame because he is incredible. I think what we lacked in the first one was a like a real storyline that just wasn't good you also had a, a dr robotnik who wasn't actually full force dr robotnik yet he had evil tendencies but he hadn't lost his mind in fact it was very akin to like d- the dudley do right villain it's just like i am here yes. and i'm putting on a funny show versus he in this one he had an actual motive and purpose to achieve his master power grab i loved 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 the insanity that he brought to it but i also loved how pointed he was in staying true to the story and focused on his actual objectives as a character. Uh, hands down, if, if we have one big takeaway from the first one to the second one is that the script itself actually had people that cared about what this should be versus, you know, any other Sonic uh, book, comic, video game, cartoon show. None of that is good. What this movie brought is an Oscar level. No, I'm just kidding. But it brought a a well-rounded, substantial story that kids could actually enjoy start to finish. And Jim Carrey, I knocked it out of the park. Yeah, man, I have to agree. I, I mean, I'm not giving I'm not giving my uh, my Oscar to Jim Carrey because I wanted to go in a very different direction this time, and and you'll hear that in a second. But my first instinct was Jim Carrey because out of everyone in this film, he he's giving a really professional performance as Doctor Robotnik, and of course, it is this is a this is a role that just really suits Jim Carrey. So it's not like it's a very transformative performance for him in the sense that like. This will this will feel a lot like some of the things that you've seen Jim Carrey do before. The Mask, The Grinch, you know, like it, it has a lot of vibes similar to that. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he does give a really professional performance in this film. Um, it, it's it's one of those things where every time he's on the screen, he's making the movie better. And, and that, mm-hmm. is, that is legitimately true for him in this film. And building all the way up to the final battle scene, which by the way, we do... Again, we do spoilers, so if you haven't been spoiled yet, you you will be at some point. Um, the final battle scene, where I just really feel like this film is at its absolute best, it's you know it's at its cinematic peak, if you will, in that final battle because you've got a great villain in Jim Carrey facing off uh, against uh, a great hero, and the person that I'm giving my uh, Oscar to, Ben Schwartz's Sonic the Hedgehog. Now. This is a this is a turning of the tide for me because I've I've been very critical about 
his casting as Sonic the Hedgehog, not because I dislike Ben Schwartz. I actually love Ben Schwartz. I think he's brilliant. I think he's one of the best comedic actors that we have. I thought he was awesome in this new series from Apple TV Plus, The After Party, that just came out. He's a great actor and, and, a, and a hilarious comedian. But the voice texture has never felt right. Sonic in the video games is... Um, and in, in previous Sonic media, he is not really a goofball. He's more of a cocky, he's a typical speedster type, type character. Think of the Flash, you know, cocky, sure of himself, confident, and, and very much like put together and has a more like a cooler vibe to him all around in general. Whereas Ben Schwartz, as soon as you hear his voice, you hear goofball, you hear Ben Schwartz, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of separate from that. But what I really liked in this movie, even though I still don't know that he's the best fit for this character, he was really telling a story with his vocal performance. And that was so critical. Um, it was so critical because they they really relied on Sonic a lot more as a character to develop emotionally to develop relationships to um you know feel for the villain and feel for the others around him and to really be more of an emotional focal point for the film much more so than they did in the first movie and and while i still don't totally buy the family dynamic between him and james marsden james marsden's tom and then and then maddie um who I'm forgetting her name. Oh, uh, Tika Sumter. I was still not buying that family dynamic, but Sonic did his job within the emotional dynamic to push it as far as it could be taken. And I think that when it falls short, it's certainly not because of Ben Schwartz's performance. It's more so just because the dynamic didn't always feel right to me. So I, I really like the leap that we got out of Ben Schwartz. It definitely wasn't just him reading lines as himself. He was really putting an effort in to tell a story. And I think more often than not, he was pretty successful. And the other part is his comedic timing was better in this film. And I think that's because the gags and the one-liners were a little bit better written overall in general. And um, it just better suited his, his form of comedy. So I, I think overall a huge step up for the Sonic character, for Ben Schwartz as the performer, and it, it really did help elevate the movie. I wonder if, I hadn't thought about this till this moment, if all of his lines were recorded before the redesign and he had a certain idea of how he needed to punch up the character mm. to make it work. And maybe it definitely it could be in that horrible looking creature versus <laughs> the updated. I, I I'm very curious. Yeah. I would, I would love to know that. I think the general vibe is, this is obviously much more uh, of a, of a successful movie uh, yeah. as far as enjoyment and entertainment. I'd wonder if eventually we would have him on a talk show, spilling the beans on that as most actors do these days. It, it's a great point. I, I think it's a really great point because we talked about in our first review, and I still believe this to be the case, that when you saw the first Sonic movie, you understood, I mean, I think you and I both understood why they went the way that they did with the initial design. Because the idea of having a very cartoony, you know, realistic looking Sonic, you know, as far as realistic as he looks the way he does in the games, is weird in an all human real world environment. So they tried mm -hmm. to make him more animalistic humanoid. Like I get the idea, the execution 
awful, but I do understand what they were trying to do. And I do think that that, to your point, could have, could have definitely held the movie back. And so going into this one, they knew they had to get weirder, which I think was a benefit to all parties involved. I think it benefited Jim Carrey. I think it benefits Ben, Ben Schwartz. I just think it really did help round things out and give this movie a little bit more purpose. I like that. I like that take a lot. Um, Let's go into scene stealer. Kirk, who you got? This one was so, so easy played by Natasha Rothwell. Uh, The character is Rachel, which is Maddie's sister who's getting married. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't seen many other things with Natasha Rothwell in it, but girl was <laughs> killing it. Like she has probably like a 15 minute stretch where that entire run is dedicated to her. Uh, so as, as background, just a reminder, Rachel is getting married to her fiance, uh, Randall in Hawaii. Uh, they're on Oahu and the Sonic throws his ring and, and he allows his parents to go to it, you know, like just a snap of a finger and they're through it. And chaos ensues because Sonic needs his dad's help, James Marsden uh, or Cyclops, whatever you want to say. And he, he has to get that ring back in order to, uh, to escape Robotnik's attack, Knuckles attack. And, because of this, all these secrets unravel. Randall is actually a, a secret spy, only getting close to Rachel in order to get closer and keep an eye on the whole Sonic debacle. And Rachel loses her mind, as one would, that her entire relationship and marriage is a sham. And she is <laughs> just absolutely dedicated to murdering Randall. As she says vocally, she she teams up with her sister, Maddie. They're running through Hawaii. They're running through the, the four seasons, just, uh, just trying to get to him. And every single line that she says is funnier than the last. It just keeps building and building and building and building until she finally can fronts him and then there's like this heartfelt moment that he was assigned to her but he fell in love with her but i kid you not that this what she did with this you know potentially throwaway role uh how she weaved her her magic into it i don't know if it was written that way like as a base and then she was like no 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 i'm here i'm in this movie i'm gonna take this to the next level absolutely killed it i mean my i went and saw this with my eight-year-old son asher was cackling for that entire stretch and it just made me just die absolutely die natasha rothwell you win it's a great pick it's a great pick and um i will echo it but i also have a second scene stealer so i have two um natasha rothwell is one of them for all of the reasons that you said and i think you're spot on um but her and the other person who fulfills a similar role in the movie, albeit with a little bit less screen time, is the person who plays Wade, Adam yeah. Polly. He's the he's like the you know, the deputy <laughs> sheriff, you know, like the one below. So it's Tom true. is the sheriff of this town, Green Hills, which is a Sonic a video game reference, Sonic uh, from the Sonic video games. And he has this like second in command named Wade. He was in the first film and he was in this movie and both he and Natasha fulfilled a similar role of keeping the silly alive when like to keep this movie from taking itself too seriously, because I think the director wisely understood that silly was the way to go with this movie um, without fail, like had to be more silly than anything. And that this movie had to be really careful to not take itself 
take itself too seriously at certain portions. Otherwise, it would just be a total joke um, and people would openly make fun of it. And so both Wade and Rachel, those two characters balanced out those scenes where it could have been, you know, taken too seriously or, you know, they just, they brought the preposterous level up to help keep everything sort of leveled. So like a lot of times where they used Wade's character was like, scenes where Sonic and Tails are discussing their plan and and it's a little bit expositional and he's like back Mm -hmm. there doing goofy stuff, delivering one-liners, like keeping things light. And then you've got Rachel on the other side at the wedding, like when all of this federal agent stuff is going down, you could easily be like, this is absurd and stupid, but she's like, yeah, of course it's stupid. This whole thing is stupid. Like, let's keep it dumb. And both of them really did a great job as comedic actors, like a lot better than most people in the film. Like they were genuinely funny and and they were the two characters that consistently got me to crack a smile as I was watching the movie. So I think that, that those two performers, Natasha Rothwell and um, what's Eric Polly, uh, Mm -hmm. Adam Polly, sorry. They did, they did the best job. um, We can rename him. It's (laughs) And they literally, they literally stole the show, stole the scenes that they were in. So scene stealers in in the truest form. All right. Incredible. Let's talk about this production. Um, Let's talk about, what they did well in this movie and and this will build up to our ultimate decision of what we'll get into after our scores, which is, is this better than the original or not? But let's start with Showstopper and that is the part of the production that just really knocked your socks off, Kirk. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I'm adding this literally as we speak. You're watching this live. You're listening to this live. Uh, what Cam said at the beginning of, of the episode in that how can you have Sonic move in a live-action world in Sonic 1? It didn't work, even with the redesign. I don't know what specific thing they did, and I will never watch the first one ever again <laughs> to look for the differences. But I believe that the only conclusive uh, result would have been um, more additions to the coloring on Sonic and his movement. I'm a big movement guy. If you've got bad movement, like bad and like no intention in your movement when you're an actor, um, like you you walk to a table and then you walk right back with no reason whatsoever, you're dead to me. I will not watch your performance until you actually walk and move with intention. So I think it has to be part of that too. I think I think it had to be with with the coloring because he is richer in this when you when you look. Uh, at screenshots uh, like his blue is just a little bit just like crisper but I think it has to be in the way he moved a little bit differently not big different but just the right kind of rhythm to make that eye blur that we have when we move across the camera uh, to to make our eyes kind of categorize it as normal so I think that was expert level a part of the visualization and of course, just bottom line, the writing on this was just so much better. The crazy thing is same director, Sonic one, Sonic two, same two base writers for Sonic one and Sonic two. And then they added a writer who wrote on the Lego Batman movie among other things, but that's obviously, you know, a drop dead, uh, joke killer, uh, film, uh, film where you just know that uh, you're going to giggle the whole time. So I think adding this extra bit of magic and looking back at their mistakes gave them the strength and confidence to make this and thank goodness that they did. Yeah. I like both of those. Um, I definitely feel like texturally Sonic and his counterparts who, you know, have, 
you know, the exact same design as him for better or worse knuckles and tails. They looked better in this film within their environment. You know, the character design is the same and the quality of the character, um, animation it is similar but for whatever reason to your point kirk i don't know if they did some different things with the lighting if they did some things with the way that they meshed it in but i know that one of the things that i did notice is they put them in more cartoony environments more often than they did in the first film in that first film you're pinned in green hills the entire time which is just like it's montana right like that's where it's supposed to be i think yeah and it just never works but in this movie you know they they have the mushroom planet they have you know they show a few scenes of like tails back on on his old planet um they have the like goofy map they have that that cave where the master emerald is stored like those are more gamey cartoony textures so i do think that that helps a lot but for my showstopper i'm going with the plot which was just so much tighter. You know, there is certainly filler in this movie, but it's nothing like what we saw in the first movie and nothing like, you know, this, this, is this had a legitimate plot that really was pretty end to end pretty tight. Like sure. There are things that could have been cut out, but you can find a reason for almost everything that they did. Even the goofy dance battle in the Siberian bar has a purpose because it's meant to build the relationship between Sonic and Tails. And even the fact that they understood that they had to build that relationship shows a maturity in storytelling between the two films. And I think just overall, you can point at things in this movie and say it's got issues for sure. But the plot is not going to be one where you say that because it's very tight. It's concise. It's easy to understand, which is important in a kid's movie. It is, we need to get the master Emerald. And then once, once they get there, some different things happen that, that honestly catch you off guard a little bit. It leads to some good, dare I say, cinematic moments in this film. It it really (laughs) does. It works for the movie. The story is, is good. And I'm not just saying that in comparison to the first film, but like literally as a standalone film, this movie, the plot works and it moves along at an acceptable pace to help things go. And then the other, the other part of my showstopper is, um, the silliness. I have referenced it a few times, but they totally understand that, that they had to be sillier here. The gags, each of the gags was more well thought out. It, um, they, they landed their jokes a little bit better and important for a kid's movie. Again, they mixed in some jokes that make sense for the adults. Um, whereas the first film was really only geared towards kid and just had like cringe after cringe joke. This movie had some funny jokes. I thought the, <laughs> the thing about the kidna the echidnas and the hedgehogs have been fighting for forever. And he said like, Vin Diesel and the rock. Like there were some really funny, um, yes. <laughs> cultural, like pop cultural things mixed in there that again, kept things light, which was, it's very important in a film like this, um, to, to make the overall tone work. And they definitely landed it this time though. It wasn't consistent overall. The silliness factor was more intentional and felt, felt better it felt more like a lot of kids movies that you see um these days so that was good correct okay kirk 
Let's talk about, uh, you mentioned same director between one and two. Let's talk about Jeff Fowler. If we were in his shoes, what, what notes do we have for him? What are your director's shoes? Yes, I think that we could have been given a better introduction to that dance battle because there are two key moments of this movie that drag and it is the dance battle and it is the final um, climactic fight. When that dance battle started, I said, oh no, they were doing so well. And then this garbage happened (laughs) until I was, I looked a little bit harder and I said, okay, character development. Yes, we do need to establish in this film that Tails and Sonic have never met. And now they're becoming lifelong buddies who will save each other and be bonded for life. So I get it. I get it. I get it. However, the opening of that dance battle, it was just like, this is one of the biggest children's movie mistakes just glaring. So I wish that it would have been teed up a little bit better. And the ending, the ending. I mean, we have a long time where we know that robotic has already summoned this power before we actually meet him again. Like a lot of stuff happens between that. And then finally we see him um, coming out of the, the, the coffee shop. And I'm like, you know, this would be a great place for like a cliffhanger. Uh, maybe get a couple of shots in of like hitting, hitting, and then maybe even see like Sonic is like running for his life and roll credits to be continued. Sonic the Hedgehog 3 releasing in October of 2023. Like that would have been really interesting to me and bold and on par with how much uh, how much better this whole storyline was. But instead they they pulled, they played that whole sequence out. I mean, it's only a two hour movie. I think it's two hours and two minutes. Yep. But when it's a kid's movie, you really got to walk that line back to an hour 45, an hour 50. It's crazy how much difference that makes. But I kid you not, when we hit, when he starts levitating uh, with all of his green circling him in front of that coffee shop, I was like, oh man, we got 12 and a half minutes of this left. This is going to be long. This is a long time. So I really wish that we would have gotten there sooner. So tighten up things ahead of time. Or I really, really do think that this could have been a really cool cliffhanger and it would have worked. It really would have worked. And again, if only all of the directors and all of the cinematographers and all of the screenwriters would consult Cam and I, I think we would have a much better and richer <laughs> film landscape. I think that's the truth. Yes, for at least a sample size of two, we would we would have a richer film uh, landscape. Uh, yeah, I I agree with that. Like I said, you know, even though you can find a plot purpose for everything in the film, I, I legitimately believe that um, there is filler, and it doesn't mean that every scene that they put in, even though it does have a plot specific purpose, it doesn't mean that it's paced correctly or, you know, hits the right tone or, or what have you. And I think the dance battle is a good call out as well as it does start to feel really long at the end. It really does. Um, my director's shoes. I have a couple of things and I'm not going to get into everything because there's plenty to poke at in this movie. But I think that one of the big things is, the scenes that are not as the scenes that are more dialogue heavy between like the um, Tom and Maddie and Sonic look worse. Like they look soap opera y. And really that goes for everything that was in um, in uh, Hawaii as well. It just felt like from a lighting and production design standpoint, there really wasn't as much effort put in because 
you know, I'm sure a ton of the budget goes into the animation, the big fight scenes, et cetera. And those scenes just really felt much lower quality than the rest of the film, like to a noticeable extent where you can like, when you're ramping up to a big scene, you start to feel and actually see things get tightened up visually. And it's a, it's a very bizarre effect. Um, but that goes to my overarching director shoes, which is that this film feels like a commercial property. You know, it really, it doesn't feel like cinema. It feels like a commercial product, which is very similar to the first Sonic movie. It's similar to a lot of things that frankly, we've seen come out of Paramount over the last um, little while here. They know that this is a cash cow. And so they're trying to get the most bang for their buck. They're trying to make the most margin. And, and to their credit, it did remarkably well in the box office opening weekend last weekend. And it will probably continue to do well and, and probably make them a good profit margin. But as for the overall quality of the movie, this isn't, you know, it's it feels almost odd to call it a film because it really is just more of like a big sonic advertisement. And, and at sometimes more than others, it really does feel that way. Now, people have this same critique for MCU movies where it's like, oh, it feels like it came out of the box. It was a product. And in some ways, I understand those critiques. But what you can't, denies that they have people there who are really putting in a very creative effort trying to make something totally new trying to put their own touch I mean so many great directors have come through the MCU and made great pieces of of film and cinema whereas this one really felt like the studio heads were there going we need this this that and the other we're going to bring in this guy from Lego Batman to help make like joke it up a little bit. And even though many of those things did make this movie better than the first one, the fact remains that it still feels at times cheap and at times just way too cookie cutter out of the box, uh, commercial product more so than movies. So I feel like you end up better in the long run if you make something that's just genuinely good. And, and like you actually work hard to make it um, not just something to sell tickets, but to make something that has, significance artistically because some of the best kids movies of all time that withstand the test of time are movies that artistically have value. I don't think that's a coincidence. Like there, there is a reason that movies like, uh, you know, Scooby-Doo, like I mentioned before, or like uh, a movie that I watched a lot as a kid, uh, cats and dogs, I think is what it was called. It was like cats versus dogs. Like movies like that don't withstand the test of time because, that when, was a terrible movie. Oh, so bad. So bad, Kirk. But when you're a kid, you know, you watch like you watch this stuff. But there, again, that's the re- there are reasons that those movies don't stick around because they ha- they are lower quality and and they don't they they feel more like a commercial product than they do a film. So I feel like short-term gain, long-term loss whenever you take that strategy. Definitely. So that's my director's When shows. I think of Cats vs. Dogs, I which I also watched too many times. <laughs> Like you just unlocked a core memory yeah, for you're me. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I think of like Baby Geniuses, and I was too yes. old to be watching that movie, and like genuinely upset at the end of that movie when the baby's like, "Do you know the secret of life?" <laughs> and, and then he he graduates out of baby talk into real words, and he forgets the, <laughs> the secret of life. I'm like, that's so beautiful. Like, I still think about that moment, but you're right. You're right. They, they are these weird 
there, there's a weird element to that still linked to this movie. Uh, and when you talk about marketing and commercialism, I mean, the moment we got home, the moment my son ran to, because it was like 930 uh, uh, on a Sunday night, he ran to his bedroom, got his Sonic pajamas that are way too small for him, mind you. And yeah. he's like, I'm wearing my Sonic jammies. Sure. It was so much fun, which is great. I had a great time taking him, but I was like, I mean, yeah, it's not a 10 out of 10, but yeah. Dude, so... so Date of recording is, this is Thursday, April 14th. I saw it on April 13th. I saw it last night at 9.30 p.m., okay, on a Wednesday night. And to your point, Kirk, about the commercial aspects of, of this film and how it resonated with your son, the kids that were in that theater were going bananas. I mean, like, <laughs> this was like, I couldn't believe it. I think there were more fan cheer moments in that than there were opening night Spider-Man No Way Home, like more instances of people clapping than when we went to go see No Way Home. And I was floored by it. But if you look at it, like they're delivering all the big hits, like Knuckles, people who play Sonic love Knuckles. People who play Sonic love Tails. Then they give you, you know, the Master Emerald, Chaos Emerald thing, which ties directly in. Then they give you Super Sonic, right? you know, which is like a great, like the cinematic moment of the film and one that actually I thought was like, that's pretty cool, even though I saw it coming. And then at the end, in the post credit scene, they give you Shadow. And I mean, it was pandemonium in my theater when Shadow was revealed. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. They they started panning up on Shadow in the post credit scene, and the kids in the back row were going ape. They were like, it's Shadow. Oh, my gosh. It's Shadow. Like clapping, hooting and hollering. It was nuts. But, you know, it's, it's fan service, and we see it in, in lots of different big – mainstream genres but you know this was very much their version of that and and i think for certain people it's checking a lot of boxes so that can't go that can't go unnoticed and of course you went home as i understood you ran home and got your sonic jammies on. yeah i got my sega genesis out (laughs) i started playing my sega game gear and i started (laughs) playing sonic (laughs) um yeah i got my sonic jammies like from the local bakery like you had them prepped and ready for when you you got home actually we the ice cream man has been frequenting our neighborhood and I got a Sonic pop the other day. Oh, um, snap. The one with the gumball eyes. It oh, was that's delicious. Absolutely lit. I was five years old again. It was so <laughs> great. Um, but yeah, so as a, it, you know, they went the commercial product route. I think it does well for them money wise, long-term value wise and long-term money wise. I think that it's a risky strategy, but that's enough about that. Let's talk final thoughts and scores on Sonic the Hedgehog to Kirk. You're up. I do not know in the history of film if there has been a comeback better than this <laughs> because that first one was so bad. And even if, as I as I, as I recall, my three point five rating, I don't even think it deserved that. <laughs> I think that was pretty nice. I think we were both 5. feeling pretty generous that day. No doubt. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Uh, I mean. I mean, you couldn't do this with any other, any other franchise and it still be go still happening. Like, um, I'm, I'm speechless. I really, I really am speechless, but what this gave us 
was an idea that the studio continues to listen, at least with the creative team behind this. And they said, dude, we're going to, we're going to be good. We're going to get better and we're going to get even more better. And we're not going to stop until we get an A plus from our fans. And they've absolutely won an entire generation back because people are going to completely forget about how terrible Sonic one was and I don't even think I would even have any future child of mine <laughs> ever watch Sonic 1. I just be like, listen, James Marsden, he's married. He adopted Sonic. Let's go. Sonic 2, let's, we're, we're in. So automatically, this, this doubles in score uh, for me. Well, not quite. It doesn't double in score. Let me, let me back my math up. But it gets a significant raise from the original movie and significant praise from me, 6.2 out of 10 kernels. I like it, Kirk. I like the score. Um, I think it's going to be competitive with my score. Uh, I'm going back between, I'm going between two numbers that are one decimal apart. Let's be honest. So it's not like it's a huge swing, but I'm going to sort of talk my into myself into one score versus the other here in just a second. But um, I have to agree with you in the sense that this is a huge step up over its predecessor. I think, you know, as a standalone product, it, it is a better film, but certainly when you look at it in connection to that first film, as we have many times during this review, um, because it's really the only basis for this world that we have, it is a significant leg up. I think that, and I said this in our first review of the first Sonic movie, this format and medium for this character is just capped at a certain level of goodness and fidelity. I really do believe that they should have done a fully animated film within the Sonic world with Sonic textures. And I mean, they, they, this is a very popular video game character. They have done amazing things in the games. He, they continue to make Sonic games today that people play and love and really enjoy. And so there's a whole world out there um, and worlds and worlds and worlds that have been designed and could be redesigned for the silver screen um, that would really take this to the next level. And I think that it allows you to unlock many of the things that hold these movies back by putting it in a real life texture. So I do feel like the amount of quality you can get in these films is capped at a certain point. Um, like I said, in my showstopper, the plot here is, is a huge upgrade. I, I really do feel like this plot works. The storyline is consistent, easy to follow they're, they don't waste a lot of time, though some, some of the pacing is wonky. They really don't put things in that are completely unnecessary, which is a huge, huge win because um, there are a lot of bad kids movies out there that make that mistake. I think of all of the Illumination films that come out, uh, maybe with the exception of like Sing and Sing 2, but even those movies, you know, like there's just tons of filler and stupid gags that are totally unnecessary in this film. Uh, fell into those traps a little bit less than I think most kids' movies that come out today that are non-Disney um, because they, they certainly are on a bar of their own, even still. But with that all being said, this is a this is a mu much bigger improvement over, over number one. I think you and I agree on that, so we can put that argument to bed. Sonic 2, far superior. They did set up a, a sequel to this film, and I have to say that after... Seeing this movie, I don't want to say I'm excited for number three, but I certainly won't be as resistant to going to see it as I was dragging myself to the movie theater at 9.30 last night because I was so unenthused. 
last couple of quick hitters. Idris Elba as Knuckles is a disaster. I I hate it. I really do. I just think he is totally phoning in that vocal performance. He has done a ton of voice acting gigs. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's really bad. One thing we know for sure is that Idris Elba loves a paycheck, and who could blame him for that? But his voice just does not work for this character, and it was bizarre. Um, Tails could have definitely used more screen time than we got. I thought that was strange that they ended up setting up that character in the post credit scene of Sonic 1, but then not really giving it as much screen time as even Knuckles in this film was an interesting choice. And I think the next step for this franchise is to really put some more money behind this, make it look higher quality throughout, make it look consistent throughout, make it something that, you know, is film and cinema uh, more so than just a movie, which this, this one is. But with all that being said, happy to report that my score is also increasing over the first film. I'm going with 5.7 out of 10 kernels. Um, so like I said, lots to poke at. I think I've poked at a lot of it. There's certainly more there to be done, but this is uh, this is better and and generally speaking, fairly enjoyable especially if you see it with people who love Sonic, because I mean, the people in my theater were going bananas. My understanding is that all of my nephews have enjoyed the movie because they love this character. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. So happy for all you Sonic fans out there that are getting your fan service. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. All Um, right. And significant, significant changes in score from one to two. Definitely. And I mean, Kirk, we were at dinner on Tuesday night before we went to go see Hamilton, and I was I was sort of lamenting my my situation about how oh I have to go see Sonic on Wednesday, and I've already decided that I'm not gonna like it, and I was just being a real sourpuss about it. But the one thing I did do was correctly predict that the post credit scene was Shadow. That I mean that was probably like the easiest softball smash out of the park prediction ever, but it was correct, and now we're set up for number three. Kirk, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really good. Uh, I mean, who else could you a, a, a introduce at that point? You ha- and I think that has to be the theme. Like when you do Sonic 3, you introduce another character. Yeah. Um, I'm super pumped because, I mean, I have read a couple of comics with with Asher uh, to the point where I know the lore of the comic book. And I really hope that we get Mr. Tinker mm. uh because, you know, we don't see Mr. Robotnik die. Obviously, he's not going to die. He falls back on his big robot. And if we could get him to lose his memory of being known in his mind as Dr. Robotnik, go to a small village and help them out. And Sonic's like, wait, this guy's evil. And then he's actually Mr. Tinker uh, in his amnesic state. And then he gets awoken again. That could be so much fun on so many levels for the third Sonic yeah, it's going to be like Avengers by the time they get, <laughs> they're going to get Sonic, <laughs> Knuckles, Tails. There's another Echidna, I believe a female Echidna. And yep. then there's also Amy Rose, who is the, Amy. F- the female um, hedgehog, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, if you get, if you get Robotnik with a, with a little bit of amnesia, classic plot hole, amnesia, um, plot loophole, what, I should say. Then you've got his, like um, six on one against Shadow, and it's going to be epic. You bring in the Chaotix, right? The the tiny robots yes. that like do his bidding, right? So maybe they have to be introduced in the next one before we get Mr. Tinker. But I think, man, I think they could roll out five of these easily with this new direction. <laughs> well, if, they, if you think they can, Kirk, I bet they will, because we all know that it's all about the dollars uh, for them. Um, 
So that's Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It's in theaters now. Should be in theaters for a little while, especially considering it did really well at the domestic box office opening weekend. Um, dethroning the Batman, among others, Crazy. and taking the top spot. And I believe Sonic the Hedgehog 1 is on Paramount Plus if you'd like to watch that. Um, I would advise against that. <laughs> but if you're new to the franchise, I think yeah. it's something you probably have to do to understand Uh I mean, not to understand the plot, but just to understand the journey that we have gone on from one movie to the next. But that's our movie review for this week. Like I said, we'll be back with our stream. What's poppin' stream next week. We'll also have another movie review, though. We're going to be coming to social media asking you guys for your opinion because there are a few candidates. Kirk and I were able to come up with at least five movie review candidates for next week, including Magic um, Mike, Alvin and the Chipmunks. (laughs) No, Kirk, we got to go with new movies. We got to go with new dancing. movies. Oh, okay. Magic Mike 3 is not out yet, so we'll get to that whenever <laughs> it comes. Though there will be movie news about Magic Mike, so stay tuned for that. But we'll we'll be choosing between Morbius, which we haven't gotten around to because business trip, etc. There was some stuff that got in the way. Um, the new Fantastic Beasts, which I believe is called The Secrets of Dumbledore. Yes. So for all you wizard, wizarding world, the secrets of Dumbledore and where to find them, <laughs> the secrets of Dumbledore and where to find them, you have to ask the secrets of Grindelwald or the crimes of Grindelwald. It's like a very long yes. title. Then uh, Ambulance or Ambulance because Michael Bay really wanted us to know that, that movie takes place in LA. Um, Everything, everywhere, all at once, which I've already seen. And the uh, unbearable weight of massive talent, which is the film with... Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. So yes. hold your thoughts. I know you guys are all screaming at your radio headphones, whatever radio. Yes. <laughs> they have, they have hooked <laughs> their digital devices into a radio and <laughs> they've got a transponder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. That's what it is. This uh, is the fireside chat actually for their family tonight. Yeah, so they're all just enjoy. sitting around the radio like, Oh my gosh. So exciting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know you guys are screaming out what you want, but I'm going to put it on social so that you can vote via re- Facebook reaction or whatever on what we review next week. So it'll be a good time. But we're back in full swing. PFB content is back on the tracks. So we'll be having lots of fun stuff coming your way. We haven't even talked about Moon Knight, Kirk. I mean, there's just so much to be discussed, but we're glad you guys are here and along for the ride. So with that, we will, as always, give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs and the band who created our fantastic original music rhetoric. Enjoy their tunes on the way out and we will see you next time. Talk to you then. Bye.